0: Coming up on Art Palace.
1: I think women are monumental. I think all of us are monumental. If we have a sense of achievement or a sense of doing something for somebody, even small things count and nobody should be discounted.
0: Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Irig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is artist Anila Kayum Aga. This episode is a live recording from September 21st of Anila's conversation on stage with Ainsley M. Cameron, curator of South Asian art, Islamic art, and antiquities.
2: Good evening. Um, I have the absolute pleasure today to introduce Anila. Um, She's a wonderful and gracious artist, and we are honored here to award her with the Shilay Prize. Anila started her artistic practice uh, at the renowned National College of Arts in Lahore, Pakistan. She later moved to the US to complete her MFA in fiber arts at the University of North Texas, and in 2008 she moved to Indianapolis where she is currently the Associate Professor of Drawing at the Heron School of Art and Design. You'll see from some of the images going on in the background here, Anila is a mixed media artist. She works across disciplines to explore global politics and cultural norms. Her works vary very widely in scale, from small works on paper to large-scale installations like the one we have upstairs, and I do hope everyone had a chance to see it. By incorporating her training in fiber arts in innovative ways, Anila investigates the ideas of traditional craft in the domestic sphere to challenge entrenched gender stereotypes. She also explores cultural multiplicity and transnational migration through her awe-inspiring installations that transform even the grandest of gallery settings. She has exhibited in over 20 solo shows and 50 group shows, and her work is in many public and private collections, including the Peabody Ethics Museum in Salem, Massachusetts the Kirin Nather Museum of Art in New Delhi, India, and now here at the Cincinnati Art Museum. So I would like to welcome Anila to the stage for um, this conversation. <laughs> so I gather you would like to start us off. Yes. That's okay. Please do.
1: Um,
2: I'm so happy
1: to be here. Thank you all for coming. Um, I also would like to thank some people who have been very generous and wonderful to, my, to me and to my career, and um, just uh, makes me, you know, full of gratitude because I'm alive. I'm an artist, and I'm able to earn a living from my art. That's a big deal, trust me. (laughs) First, thank you, Cameron Kitchen, for being such a forward-thinking director of a museum. I'm really impressed. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you for including my work in your collection. Ainsley, of course, wonderful to have been able to communicate and work with you on the acquisition and afterwards, whatever came after. It was wonderful. Thank you. I hope that I can call you a friend for the rest of my life. I would love that. Um, Cynthia, I don't know where she is, but she was the one who, very stylish lady. She came to my studio and did the first studio visit, and I was so impressed. Thank you for coming and being generous and being open to, you know, looking at the work and, you know, taking good tidings back. (laughs) Um, Alice Bimo, foundation or endowment for Asian art. Thank you for acquiring my work, because that means so much to me. Um, Because of her and her endowment, I'm I'm part of a museum now. <laughs> That's my legacy. It's, it's wonderful. Um, and then Marjorie Sheely, wonderful to be named the second fellow, I guess I would call it. I'm so happy to be able to take her legacy forward. And it means so much to me. Um, all my friends who have come all the way from Indianapolis, Shannon, Paula, Kat. Um, thank you, it means a lot to me. And then last but not least, um, my husband, Steve Prachel, I don't know where he is, but without him I don't think my sculptures would be what they are. Um, his skills, his ability, his critical thinking um, took my vision and made it into something that's worthwhile and <laughs> being collected. So. Thank you all. Uh, it means a lot. Much appreciated. Thank you.
2: Um, great. OK, so I thought what we would do uh, for the next few minutes is I've got some questions I was going to ask you, but also just so we can see where the conversation takes us. Um, I do want to leave some time for questions from our audience, because know there's a lot of people who. Uh, who want to ask some questions as well. I think we're lucky that we've got this wonderful slideshow in the background that's already been playing, so I think everyone's had a chance to see um, some of your works go by. And what I loved about the slideshow as it came together is that it shows your works from about 2004 to now, and it shows this really wonderful progression through Mm -hmm. your works. And what I loved thinking about you and your training, and really sort of this training in fibre arts and starting there, starting with embroidery, starting to think about traditional craft and, and gender and domestication and how to sort of bring that forward in your art to where we are now with these laser cut works. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this, we could talk about this probably for, for days and weeks, but how did we get from there to here? Like, what, what is this progression? How did it come about? What, where did it germinate and, and how is it new for you?
1: It's a really long question. It and, is. I apologize. Um, I'll try to, <laughs> I'll try to um, do it justice. But I think the the interesting thing of my journey, I often think, is what grounds it. Okay. It's the social issues that I feel so involved with. And um, for me, as a woman growing up in Pakistan, it was um, um, often feeling like a second, second to the male, mm-hmm. often. And so for me to be able to bring a womanly or a feminist point of view into my work kind of makes it worthwhile mm-hmm. for me. Um, I think the journey started from being a woman who was underrepresented to becoming a woman who is represented, but also a woman who's from South Asia,
3: mm-hmm.
1: who's an immigrant, who has made a life here, who's educating young people here mm-hmm. so that we can broaden the, the environment of understanding, tolerance, justice. So I feel very grateful that I'm given the opportunity to do all this, but it's also because I started from a place where I often felt underrepresented but somehow I rested it back and was able to say, okay, this is my life, I'm gonna make it better. I'm gonna make it better for other people too. And I think that's 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 what drives me often, mm-hmm. which is why I continue to teach, even though I'm really like, sometimes I feel like I can't handle everything now, but um, so maybe that answers the question. I hope it does. But I think it's, it's the feeling of being not important mm-hmm. in the beginning and how you, re, how you deal with that,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, as a woman, as a female in a, in a part of the world that often discounts my ability or my mind or my, you know, whatever I give to, people around me or my community, Mm -hmm. it's often limited to childbearing or being a mom or... Mm -hmm. Which is not saying that it's less, but it's like it's not the only thing Mm -hmm. I was or I am.
2: So you sort of see your own artistic practice and as a way to sort of transcend the barriers that Mm -hmm. have been imposed upon you through gender in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. But
1: I think that gender is not limited to Pakistan. I often think that gender is very worldwide, Mm -hmm. and there are issues within the American culture, within the European culture, where women are kind of given a glass ceiling and made to stay within that. We recently heard and read articles about the... Technology centers in California.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no you know, So it's yeah. it's sort
1: of like it's different for different environments, but it it is always there.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's even more profound if we are honoring sort of six women in this yes. talk and tonight. It's so really that made me very to proud to be part yeah, of that. Yeah. Definitely, mm-hmm. I like that. Um, So this this work that we have on display upstairs, and again, I do hope everyone saw it. It's open to October 15th, so do come back as well. Um, It's a very um, personal reflection in a lot of ways. A lot of what we've spoken about in the past and a lot of what you've written about in your artist statement, it talks about your own... um, A a reflection of your own personal love, loss, and gains in your life, but it's sort of... um, Along with that, and you've touched on that a little bit already, it explores loss and alienation um, on a worldwide scale, sort of from displaced people, thinking about transnational migration, thinking about people leaving family behind in order to start lives new. Can we talk about how those two meanings coexist for you in your artwork, how it's a very sort of personal reflection of your own life, but that the, the magnitude of this political and social ideals that you, that you feel so strongly about and how you bring those as well? How do those both sort of rest in your pieces?
1: Well, I think like if you talk about making people understand what you're trying to say, often for me, the best thing is to show a contrast. A contrast of how you may have felt bad, but then how you conquered that feeling.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Or I was, a woman in Pakistan who was considered to be lesser than the male counterpart but then I overcame that mm-hmm. so that contrast I think in my opinion is often the the best way to show that mm-hmm. and when we talk about artworks that are you know I I often think what are some of the things that make things memorable it's when the personal that has happened to you mm-hmm. can be connected to people on a larger, wider scale. So, personal becoming global. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the third thing I would say is that um, when you talk about being discounted, that can be translated to political mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. all around the world. So, for example, the way refugees are discounted, you know unless we are connected to them in some way or fashion, Mm -hmm. we're gonna just shut the TV off and say, okay, you know, it's happened in Mexico, it's happened in so-and-so, maybe it's not so connected to me. So you're able to shut it off and go on with your life. Mm -hmm. But if you're connected to somebody and you know that that person was discounted, then you are gonna do whatever it takes to get money there, to get help there. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the, the point of the way we function as humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we help where we can, but often we help the people that are connected to us.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I feel that that, being, that feeling of being discounted can be so intrinsic to so many people's lives. And especially as a woman like me who came from a place where if I hadn't fought for education, I may have been um, still there, mm-hmm. um, maybe not ha- may not have had a good life, mm-hmm. may not have had many choices. And I often think about that feeling of being discounted that drives me.
3: Mm.
1: And that feeling, when you can connect that to feminism, intersectional feminism, then you can understand how people in Bangladesh may feel or how people in North Korea may feel, women especially, who have to kind of bring families together and mm-hmm. you know, continue to make things work for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's maybe is what drives my practice more than anything else, that feeling of wanting to talk about that sense of not being important enough. Mm. Sometimes, you know, um, in a class that I teach, I have maybe 20 students, and if I don't make each person feel important, they may start feeling left out. So imagine, humanity-wise, I mean, like, we are so many billions of people on this earth now. And we're continuing to feel discounted. Fifty percent of the population often feels discounted. So how do we make them feel like they are part of the decision making? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what drives my practice. And so I often think, like, how can I bring that feeling into the work?
2: Mm -hmm. So it's that sort of sense of connection that you can give through Mm -hmm. each piece that sort of you can almost envision as like a domino effect of... Yeah. Connection to one to the other to the other to make a, a sort of a wider effect. I think that's I think that's easy.
1: but then here's another problem. See, with artists or being an artist, we are not saving lives. You know? yeah, I mean yeah. I'm not a doctor, I'm not uh, taking care of somebody's surgery, I'm not yeah. giving medication, or well, I'm not being a doctor. I
2: am a doctor and I still can't do any of that <laughs> stuff, right? I <laughs> the most useless kind.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. That must be hard on you.
2: It's hard. <laughs> when you're on you an airplane and there's that, like, is there a doctor on board? We have a problem. I'm like, yep. Hey, yep. yeah. Do you want to talk about, like, I don't know, landscape versus portrait? I don't know. No. <laughs> Not me. Anyway, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's
1: just hard being yeah. that place or no, I that know. person. Yeah.
2: Definitely. Mm-hmm. 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 Um. I want to talk about something that, that you and I talk about, talked about recently that I thought was really, really interesting. We were talking about the object versus the experience, and it sort of is part of this as well, because I think that, that when people look at your works in the gallery, they're, they're making this connection because they are having an emotional connection to what they are seeing. And so there's this, this idea of the sculptural installation that you create out of steel now, and the gallery experience that, that you also create, and mm-hmm. that you want people to engage with. And I want to talk about how the object can inform the experience and vice versa. like how do you how do you see them relating and how does it change per gallery space? Like I've seen this work in in a few different spaces now, and I feel like it's always different. And we were mm-hmm. talking about how you've made it in different colors recently and how it's always different. So how do you sort of do you see yourself as sort of manipulating that that experience through so those subtle changes of space and color or or do you, are you sort of releasing control of the way people are experiencing it and having them have their reaction?
1: That's a really interesting thing to think about because, you know, I often think that um, if um, I were a magician, I would be mm-hmm. doing the gimmicking stuff, you know. But that's not where my heart is. Mm-hmm. I I think very thoughtfully about how I want the shadows to reflect on people. Mm-hmm. You know, the the issue was how I make the person who's walking through the space as part of the installation or part of the object. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many sub-layers to the sculptures themselves. They're not just about um, a person walking through. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about uh, you know, this whole idea of authenticity, mm-hmm. where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm a Pakistani-American woman living in the United States. But a lot of my influences come from my childhood and mm-hmm. my adolescence and my early adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then growing up in an Islamic environment and being an atheist now, mm-hmm. um, you know, those things kinda how do they connect and form what I'm trying to say. And I often think, um, you know, the idea of what it means to be a post-colonial person where i am authentic in pakistan but i may not be authentic here Mm -hmm. so the shadows play a role that may not be just what is obvious yes people connect to them on an on an emotional level because it's beautiful it's meditative it's uh, experiential so you kind of become part of the environment but it's also about other things it's about catalog you know about like what it means to be a feminist it's a feminine space Mm -hmm. am I Mm -hmm. allowing you to be in here I mean I don't really have uh, any kind of way to say this more authentically than saying it like this that I want to welcome everybody because to me being a brown person from another part of the world where I was often discounted, but Mm -hmm. also discounted in this country when I came here, Mm -hmm. um, through grad school, through work, through other places, I wanna make sure that people understand that it's it's not just about beautiful environment, it's about you and I and how we connect, it's Mm -hmm. about feminism, it's about um, social, social connections Mm -hmm. and how we can make people feel and be in somebody else's shoes, Mm -hmm. for example, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think also I sometimes think that, you know, beautiful environments can be kind of a problem with contemporary art because, you know, beauty is considered a bad word Mm -hmm. or sometimes it's tricky, but um, that shows my, my origins Mm-hmm. You know, because in Pakistan, I was supposed to be an ornamental human being. I was supposed to add beauty and breeding and births to the mix. But mm-hmm. other than that, I had no say mm-hmm. in my own life. And so when I talk about beauty, it's more intrinsic to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and i totally forgotten your question. Oh, so did I. It <laughs> <laughs> <So. laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> So, I, I don't know what to say now, how to make a point.
2: <laughs> well, I think I mean that the concept of beauty is really interesting, mm-hmm. the concept of beauty within contemporary art, but then also just within the museum experience and how people are having these emotional reactions, and that's really tough to do. I mean, as a curator, I, I think about that often, of how to, how to make connections between visitors and the artwork that we display, and representing uh, South Asian collections, Islamic collections, um, it's often very difficult because you have you have these these a different set of barriers between um, the visitors and the art. You have the barriers of of where people here might not necessarily know the intricacies of these cultures and feel that they're not allowed to appreciate something on mm. that same level. They're not they're not, they're like, you know, perhaps it's a religious object uh, in, in our South Asian galleries and they think, well, I'm not part of this culture, therefore, I can't appreciate it to its fullest potential, therefore, I won't even engage with it. Mm. And I'm trying to break down those barriers. And I think beauty is a wonderful way to do that, the aesthetics of the objects to really sort of uh, guide people in seeing beauty in, um, in the different objects from different cultures, um, but also to create emotional connections with things. And I think if you can create that in a gallery, I think it's just wonderful I think it's a win. I think any sort of um, true connection that you can have uh, with a piece of artwork in the 21st century when we're all looking at our smartphones or we're all doing different things, I mean it's, it's fabulous. Um, but then to marry the 21st century into your artwork as well, I want to talk about for a second because um, Instagram, <laughs> and you are this match made in heaven. I mean, people love your work. They love to share it. This is how people are experiencing the world, right? Like they are they are taking pictures of themselves or your artwork and posting it and saying that they were there. And they're using um, this wonderful language and vocabulary. I recently went through our Instagram feed and was just sort of reading. Some of the messages that people were writing, and it was beautiful and joyful, stunning, astounding, Um, people said almost overwhelming, um, jaw-dropping, breathtaking. It was really these, um, it was really sort of, I don't know, like like really welcoming and open. um, So, the space that you're trying to create, I felt that people were engaging with. Uh, The favorite comment that I noticed was someone wrote just, this is the answer. I don't know what the question is, but somebody was just so moved by the piece. Post this is the answer. <laughs> but what does that repetition of your artwork on social media mean to you or affect you? Like, obviously, it's it's publicity, yes. But I mean, it, it's more than that because it's—I don't know—it's it, getting your work out there in this in this very different way because it's still. It's like passing on the domino connection in some weird way. Do you see it that way, or how do you how do do see
1: and it? I do, and I'm very grateful about that, because, you know, I mean, uh, who wouldn't want, as an artist, their work to be, you know, continuously shown like that? Mm-hmm. But I, I I worry a little bit, because, you know, like when when I was talking about the authenticity of it, mm-hmm. you know, then the experience becomes limited to online Mm -hmm. formats. Mm -hmm. Maybe people may not go and experience it personally. But, you know, I mean, we live in the 21st century, and uh, now we have this wonderful internet, as um, I can't remember who said the internet, (laughs) you know. But um, I think we, as the future, we are gonna see the world very differently. And I wish I were born now because, you know, I'd be so up with it, I'd be so hip, but I'm, you know, I'm still trying to understand how to use Instagram and mm-hmm. use Twitter and all these things. But like, I think that this is an amazing phenomenon that's, that's becoming um, almost rabid, I think, mm-hmm. you know, because it's, mm-hmm. it's like, um, I wonder how many people just stay at home and just do that. You know, instead yeah. of going out and being with friends or talking or calling people. And, you know, I'm I'm at fault for that, too, because I'm so busy in the studio or I'm teaching that I often just revert to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram to see, like, what my friends are doing.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, yeah. instead of
1: calling them and saying, hey, let's go and have a drink or something, we are mostly, you know using this wonderful tool that we have. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would hope that people would understand that it's a tool. It's an extension yeah. of what we can do. But maybe the experience has to be personally done. Um,
2: I, th- I think people are. I think there, there are there's sort of there's studies that are coming out about <laughs> that, that people are getting off their couches, putting down their phones, and having that experience. And you see it even in the Instagram feed for this work, that people are commenting, oh my god, I have to go and see that mm-hmm. as well. And there is this sort of... I mean, what I worry about is I don't want it to be sort of a check-the-box thing of I have to see that in my lifetime, like visiting the Mona Lisa or something and taking your picture, but, but that people are still realizing that there is an experience to be had, and they're, mm-hmm. and they're doing that. So, I think we're good. Um, I don't think I asked you any of the questions that were actually on my paper. <laughs> but <laughs> so let me see if I can find some more. I was really interested in what you said about uh, it being a feminine space, um, and how, why why is it that you is it because you're a female artist creating it? Is it because of the nature of the sh- the shape and shadows and the um, the effect of the ornamentation as it comes through that this piece is is. The majority of it is floral ornamentation. What what is it? What are the different aspects of bring it together to create a, a, a feminist, a, a feminine space that you then well, interpret as feminist?
1: Well, I think that first, I think it connects to this whole idea of the fragility of life. Okay. You know, and shadows are very connected to that. Mm-hmm. You know, often when we are alive and then we die, we are kind of like shadows in, in, in people's memories. Mm. Um, sometimes you kind of... You know, as you get older, you realize that you remember less and less, and some Mm -hmm. things become very potent to you, but Mm -hmm. other things are lost. Mm. Uh, I think the ephemerality is what entices me. And if you notice, right from the beginning, when I started making work in this country, I was, like, very drawn to the idea of shadows and Mm. uh, what it means. So it's it's sort of like... um, it's not just a feminine space, it's also the fact that, um, you know, we are so delicate. Mm. The world is so delicate. Mm-hmm. The systems that we live in, within in, you know, they're all so delicate. But then we are able to kind of create this environment where we feel so strong. We, mm-hmm. we are able to conquer nature. Mm. And, build these awesome buildings and you know do these amazing things and then we realize. but like if the hurricane came and you die that's it yeah so i i i often think that the shadows kind of represent that for me symbolically mm-hmm. and i'm so interested in this idea of how we can kind of have a real person who's casting a shadow and then the shadow itself that yeah. is alive and kicking and really moving with you, but yeah. it's still not there or yeah. is there. And that idea of being there and not being there is also what you were asking me about earlier about the loss. Mm-hmm. It's loss of ideas. It's loss mm-hmm. of lives. It's mm-hmm. loss of so many different things that are connected to us as humans, and, but then we go out and we do things that may not be so nice, you know, mm-hmm. like, for example, denying climate change, kind of, for example. Yeah, and yeah, to me, kind of that, that yeah. seems so um, limited in our thinking. I mean, mm-hmm. how, how can we not think beyond ourselves and think about the entire earth? And so mm-hmm. shadows, for me, mean something mm-hmm. more deeper, more elemental that kind of connect All of these ideas together Mm -hmm. and bring them together. And so it's sort of like talking about life really. Yeah.
2: It's so interesting that you use steel as well then to create the structure. They like this Mm -hmm. almost like indestructible Mm -hmm. material. Um and then they the ephemerality of the shadows. I think that's a really nice juxtaposition. But it doesn't feel like juxtaposition. Like it doesn't feel aggressive in any way. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not that's even though it's a it's a very imposing piece when you go into the gallery, there's I, I don't I don't get that sense from it, and I don't I, I haven't experienced that from other people from stalking their Instagram at least.
1: But <laughs> but you know um, that was one of the reasons. Like when the initial the first piece was built, mm-hmm. uh, it was made out of wood, and the idea mm-hmm. was like to have it. I mean like wood represents trees, yeah, and there are redwood forests in California that have been there for 500 years. Mm -hmm. So that was the initial kind of germination of the idea of like, why not use this material? Mm -hmm. But it was also because I I was lucky enough to receive a grant from Indiana University called, excuse me, uh, New Frontiers, and it needed to have a component that allowed me to use technology as well oh, okay. and so being able to marry the two ideas together and create this 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 work was really important because I wanted it to feel imposing you know mm-hmm. because of I wanted to make it black but mm-hmm. I wanted it to levitate mm-hmm. so that it felt light but still so heavy mm-hmm. and all of those things kind of made it imposing like you said But it also allowed for it to be this this thing that stayed in people's minds because it was light but heavy, Mm. enveloping, yet an object. And so many things were happening at the same time. And I think that's the magic of real uh, the great art that we see within our times. Um, and also, you know, old art that we have seen that, you know, kind of educates us and puts us in context. And I'm just, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, it's just so exciting to yeah. be part of this idea of, like, using new technology and being able to use materials that represent durability and... Longevity. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I'd be dead and gone, and this piece is still gonna be here, mm-hmm. so maybe it'll say something to the future generations yeah. that I was trying to say now, and mm-hmm. maybe, like, mm-hmm. Leonardo da Vinci, I may, you know, still be alive then, or maybe forgotten, yeah. you never know. It's, uh, it's, um, yeah. I think it's a flip. <laughs> Women artists oh, sometimes I'm, I'm get forgotten. My, uh,
2: I'm getting my moment from, from Russell here. Let's open it up to the audience. Um, if there's any questions anyone has. But before I, oh, can yes. I
1: say one, one more thing? Uh-huh. Um, uh, when you were talking about Instagram, mm-hmm. I think um, I have a very special person over here. His name is Projal Datta. He's the mm-hmm. Icon mm-hmm. Gallery's amazing CEO or director. And um, he's taken me everywhere. He's uh, put me in Dubai, Abu Dhabi. Um, He's sensitively taken care of my work Mm -hmm. and shown me worldwide. I mean, uh, I wouldn't have been on Instagram without Projo. Yeah. The first time I
2: saw the piece was was at Projo's gallery. In (laughs) fact, that's where I fell in love with it. And so Icon
1: Gallery has done me proud. I'm so grateful that I'm part of his gallery stables. Stables is a weird word though. But, <laughs> but thank well, to you. We'll deconstruct that next time. And um, you know I wouldn't be on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook if it wasn't for him. Thank you. Where is he?
2: There <laughs> So we do have a few minutes for questions from our audience. Russell has a very ingenious system that he does. He's going to have a (laughs) mic. He's going to come around from one side to the other. So if people on this side have any questions. I see one more in the center. First of
3: all, I would like to thank you for this amazing piece that you have created, at least for me, because so many times I have come to see this and the spirituality that, maybe it's a cliche word, but it brings me close to my higher self. It is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So I want to thank you, Mr. Ara, and uh, I hope you will continue doing this. But I have a question for you. When you first walk into this stunning room, with all those reflections and this beautiful piece in the middle, the light in the middle of the uh, cube that you have created, it comes across so bright that for a second, you almost like the light hits you Now. I have been sitting and thinking, is that the light of God, or whatever you want to interpret it? But the same token, I'm just questioning. I mean, I'm far smaller than that to question you. But i like to know, couldn't there be a form of light there that it wouldn't hit you? But nevertheless, thank you so much. Honestly, I think you are a winner. God bless you.
1: Thank you. If you'd like me to answer that question about the light, I think the shadows wouldn't form as brilliantly as they do if the light wasn't that strong. But it's also about the unity of light. You know, when we talk about religious, religions worldwide, there's often this single God that we are all talking about, but the single God doesn't connect with the other God, you know? And so to me, as a person who, you know, uh, I, I think Earth may be my, my religion or humanity may be my religion. So for me, to kind of think about the idea of like how can we all be united and make our lives better by you know i mean like it's it's an idea so like i said i'm not a i'm not really saving lives but i'm trying to make people think a little outside of the box so to speak <laughs> <laughs> and so the light is very necessary for that mm-hmm.
0: will get to you making back. Hi, Anila. I agree with Zizi. Your work is just beautiful. But I had a question about um you left Pakistan feeling like a second-class citizen. Um, is your family ac- accepting of the strides you have made for women? And um how did they feel about you not? Um, believing in Islam anymore
1: I don't know if they know that I <laughs> <laughs> I mean I I I wouldn't want to be the person who who tells other people not to believe you know it's right. their it's their life yes. they have to decide um, for me I think um, they, they're very proud of me my my mother earlier this year passed away but she was very proud of me and uh, my siblings, they know what I do. I don't know if they completely understand because they've never visited the United States okay. and now they may not be able to with, mm-hmm. you know, the right. current scenario, but um, they're very happy and proud and, Good. you know, I have been able to help them quite a bit. So that really makes a difference to me as well. and. To tell you honestly, my my immediate family was pretty much very. Um, my sisters work, or at least you know one of them, and then one sister took care of my mom all her life. So it's like you know everybody chips in and does what they can. Um, I don't know what what their real feelings are about it because we haven't really talked about it. Oh, okay, <laughs> <So>. thank you. <laughs> What does the title, All the Flowers Are for Me, mean to you? Often, I used to think that, um, you know, to be successful as a woman was very difficult, living in Pakistan. Um, My earlier life, you know, I started working when I was very young. And so, often I felt like um, life was passing me by, and I wasn't able to achieve what I wanted to, and also the fact that um, when my father passed away very early, when I was very young, um, my mother's family came over, especially her brothers, who suggested to get us married off as young women. I was, I think, 14 years old, maybe 15. And so, for me, the title means, All the Flowers Are For Me, means, I have the option to make choices. I can and will be educated. I will decide how I live and how I will conduct my life. So that's what that title means. It means all the flowers are for me. I can decide. (laughs)
3: Um, of, of course, I think your, your work is magnificent and amazing. Um, and one of the first things that struck me about it was how much space it takes up. And so in the context of feminism, I was just wondering what inspired you or what gave you the courage to take up that much space?
1: If you think about it, women, like when we were ta- when uh, Cameron was introducing this, the five women that he was talking about, they take up a lot of space, right? How come we always give them a little space? So I wanted to go big. I wanted to make something monumental. Um, My initial idea was actually to make something that was overhead but was 16 feet square above my head. Um, That didn't happen because my funding kind of was limited. And so I could only, so I had to scale it down. But then I thought about the idea of like, Even if I scale down the actual object, how can I project it so that it becomes monumental? And so I think women are monumental. I think all of us are monumental. Um, If we have um, a sense of achievement or a sense of doing something for somebody, even small things count and nobody should be discounted. So the sculptures are really big because of that reason. I think women are monumental. And
2: so... I think that's all the time we have, unfortunately, um, so we're going to end on that kind of awesome note and all of us monumental women are going to oh, leave the stage. Amazons. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming, everyone, Thank really you. really wonderful.
0: Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions on view right now are Anna England, Kinship, William Kintridge, More Sweetly Play the Dance, Anila Kayum Aga, All the Flowers Are for Me, and opening on October 13th is Iris Von Erpen, Transforming Fashion. Join us on Thursday, October 5th for a screening of Under the Starry Sky, or Des Etoiles, hosted by curator Ainsley M. Cameron, and with an introduction by Therese migran georges professor of French and Women's, Gender, and Sexuality Studies at the University of Cincinnati, and post-film discussion with Michael Gott, director of programming at the Center for Film and Media Studies at UC. For program reservations and more information, visit cincinnatiartmuseum.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. We also have a new Facebook group for Art Palace, so please join it. Our theme song is "Ofrond Musicale by Bacalau. And as always, please rate, review us, and subscribe on iTunes. I'm Russell Irig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.